Ephesians chapter 1, continuing in our series, Identity Issues. The title of today's message is Foolishness and Wisdom. Foolishness and Wisdom. And we are going to be zeroing in on verse 8 of chapter 1, but we'll read verses 3 through 9 just to get the context. And, and today's theme dips into verse 9 a little bit, so we'll really pick up a teaching that next week, but it plays into what we're talking about in verse 8, so we'll read it. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting reading together in verse 3. Paul the Apostle writes and says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. In our verse for today, he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the text today. We thank you for your inerrant, fallible, infallible, authoritative, right and wonderful word of God. Thank you, God, that in your word you speak to your church. We praise you, Lord, that your word is living and active, that it deals with the very depth of our being. We thank you that you alone are all wise and all knowing, and that you love us more than we could ever imagine, even though we are more wicked than we could possibly conceive. And in your love, because of what Christ did for us, you, you really want to speak to us today, Lord. And so in response to that, we, we open our ears and we ask that you'd open our hearts and minds. And we ask that you would open my mouth to speak the very oracles of God. That I would only speak that which is good for your purposes. That which is in accordance with your good pleasure. A revelation of the mysterious plan of Christ. And that Lord, for your glory, you would cause us to live rightly before you and in the world. Thank you that whom you love, you discipline. Thank you that you take sinners and make them saints. You take rebels and make them worshipers. Thank you that that's our story. You've done that with us. Continue to unfold the story of God in us and through us today by the preaching of your word. We celebrate and we worship you through the teaching and preaching and listening to your word. We ask that you be glorified in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I shared with you guys previously, 
the section that we're studying right now, Ephesians 1 verses 13 through 14, are one long sentence in the original Greek. If anyone was ever long-winded on earth, it was Paul. That's one long sentence. In English grammar, we break it into a whole bunch of sentences, but Paul just had this long run-on sentence. And in ancient Greek, there wasn't any punctuation. Okay, there weren't periods or commas or, or colons or semicolons. Uh, there, there weren't even breaks, really, in, in the way that we have them. It's just this, this running thing. So for those of us that would interpret the Bible from Greek into English, it's sometimes difficult to do to nail down the syntax and the grammar, right? So we've had to break this one long sentence into a bunch of sentences so that we could kind of comprehend it. And so not all Bible translation will all, translations excuse me, will always agree on the right syntax and grammar. They'll kind of sometimes translate them differently, put periods in different places, commas, so on and so forth. And this is a case with verse 8 here. It's difficult to tell what is meant here by the author in the syntax and grammar. And, and so the text might mean one of three things, really. Okay, so, so first, it, it might mean that God lavished his grace on us in his wisdom and understanding. That is to say that our redemption is in accordance with, is the outflow of God's own wisdom and understanding. This is a way that the English Standard Version has translated it from the Greek text. The, the English Standard Version ESV reads this way in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purposes, which he set forth in Christ. So according to that rendering of the text, Paul would be saying that when God lavishes grace upon his people, it wasn't haphazard or an ill-considered action. His decision to lavish his grace upon us by paying the price for our redemption with the blood of his beloved son was an act of God's own wisdom and understanding. And that, of course, is true. But there's another way to interpret the verse. And that would be connecting it with the phrase in the next verse, verse 9, and God's having revealed to us the mystery of his will, as spoken of in verse 9, according to his wisdom and understanding. This is the way that the New American Standard Bible would translate it. So they would read this way, starting in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us, period. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. So, so there, because of where we would place periods and commas, it, it, would, it would mean something different. God making known to us the mystery of his will as an act of, in accordance to, with his wisdom and his knowledge. So, so in one translation, our redemption is according to his wisdom, and his understanding. In another translation, the revelation that's given to us, the understanding that we gain of God's plan through Christ is given in accordance to God's wisdom and understanding. And then we have a third way to understand the text, and this would be how the NLT, the New Living Translation that I'm teaching from today, translates it. And this would be saying that wisdom and understanding are part of God's salvific gift for us. That what we get in accordance with God's grace is not only redemption, not only have we been adopted and saved, but we're also given wisdom and understanding. 
New Living Translation once again reads, starting verse 7, He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. So, the New Living Translation would be saying that not only are we redeemed from the power and the penalty of sin with the precious blood of Christ, but also in God's kindness, he has given us wisdom and understanding so that we might know and live differently and according to his plan and not our own. Now, now here's what's interesting. All three different translations are generally true. None of those are incorrect. None of those would be denied by the rest of Scripture. They're all generally true. But I think that the correct way to translate it is the way that the New Living Translation does so. I have a few reasons why I believe that. Number one, that's what most people think. I'm going along with the majority view here. Most uh, translators, most commentators, most interpreters think that the New Living Translation has it correct here. Another reason that I think that is because verse 9 which says God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure, is speaking of a gift of revelation from God. God has revealed to us something about the way he saves us, the way he works, and something about what he's going to do in the future. God has revealed to us his mysterious plan. So there seems to be this connected theme here then between verse 8 and verse 9 of revelation, of understanding, of insight being given to us by God that we did not previously have. And then the other reason why I would say that the New Living Translation has it right is because that is how Paul consistently prayed for the churches. So, so he said this in other places. He said this in Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. And he says it in verses 16 and 17 of Ephesians chapter 1. He says, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. So, here's what the text is saying. God has not only loved us, as we saw previously in the text. God has not only loved us, chosen us, adopted us, redeemed us, and lavished his kindness on us, but he has also given us wisdom and understanding. And if this is true, if that's the correct way to view the text, then we as Christians have to understand this. To live fruitful Christian lives, we not only need to rely upon grace and its benefits, we need to rely upon wisdom and understanding and their benefits. To live a fruitful Christian life, you not only rely upon grace, but also this concomitant gift of wisdom and understanding. You see, here's how grace helps us. Grace causes us to realize that when we are sin or when we are sin, when we sin, we are forgiven and secure to the glory of God because of the work of Christ. The flip side of that coin is that grace reveals to us our utter sinfulness. If we are in need of grace, it's because we are utterly wicked and undeserving and condemned before God. So grace shows us our utter wickedness, but also the totality of our forgiveness because of what Christ has done for us. In accordance with that, wisdom. In wisdom, we realize this, that our Christian freedom, our freedom from condemnation, our freedom from sin, our freedom from guilt, our freedom from the devil, is not only for ourselves, but that we might start to live for the glory of God. So 
wisdom reveals to us that there's a better way to live. It also then reveals to us the flip side of the coin, our utter foolishness. And then understanding. In understanding, we discover or discern how to live for God's glory in every instance. How to live for God's glory in every instance. So the flip side of that coin is that understanding reveals to us our recklessness. Our proclivity toward living in a reckless, self-oriented, self-glorifying manner. And we are given now this gift of understanding, which begins to enable us to live for God's glory in every instance. So wisdom and understanding then in the New Testament are part of the way that God enables us to live holy lives. It's not only about grace, which has declared us holy because we're in Christ. It's about wisdom and understanding that cause us to live holy to the glory of Christ. Practical holiness. The experience of sanctification through the truth of Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in these two words, wisdom and understanding, there are subtleties in their definitions. But Scripture really uses them as synonyms. Scripture employs here a grammatical tactic where you use two words to explain one concept. Okay, we, we do this all the time, using two words to explain one concept. Like we might say of today, it's nice and warm out. We're, we're really just saying one thing, but we're using two words to do it. They become synonyms. They, they mutually define each other, nice and warm. Or, or we might say also, uh, when I was baptized in the ocean, I was beaten and battered by the waves. Right? Beaten and battered. Or, or, though there's nuances in, in, in what they mean, they, they mean something different. When you use them together, they're saying the same thing. They mutually define each other. Using two words to explain one concept. This is what scripture does usually with wisdom and understanding. Or wisdom and insight. Or wisdom and prudence. Whatever synonym you want to use there. Two words to explain one thing. And here's that one thing. Wisdom and understanding are Scripture's way of speaking of that which we need to live right lives to the glory of God. They both refer to, at the same time, the right handling of the right thing at the right moment. Think about if we live life that way. The right handling of the right thing at the right moment. Most of my life story is that I've done the wrong thing, handled it the wrong way at the wrong moment. But we have this gift of wisdom and understanding by where we are enabled to live in a way in which we handle rightly the right thing at the right moment. It's Scripture's way of speaking of God's gift, God's given ability for us to act appropriately. Scripture's way of speaking of the ability God gives us to discern between right and wrong, which isn't always easy, which isn't always as black and white as it seems in today's culture. God enabling us to discern between right and wrong. Because God doesn't only want us to be saved, he also wants us to be well. God doesn't only want us to have the experience of going to heaven, but he also wants us to have the experience of glorifying him on earth. Not only of experiencing positional holiness, but of practicing practical holiness as well. And so because that's God's will, that we're not just saved but well, 
Not just on our way to heaven, but living on earth to glorify him. Not just positional holiness as saints because we're in Christ, but practical holiness, living like saints for the glory of Christ. Because of that, God gives us Christians wisdom and understanding. And what the text says is he doesn't just give it to us, he lavishes it on us. That's what it said right there, right? He, he lavishes it on us. Now, what does it mean, lavish? We, we use this word on occasion, right? If somebody lives a, a lavish lifestyle, what is that? It's a lifestyle of excess, right? Lavishness speaks of excess. To lavish something on someone is to shower it on them. To superabound is an old school word that, that could be used. It simply means too much. More than is needed. A greater number than is required. God has lavished kindness along with wisdom and understanding on us. We have more than enough as Christians for godly living. Which would begin to indicate we have very few excuses for not living godly lives. We have more than enough. He's lavished on us wisdom and understanding. The verb lavish here is referring to not only God's grace, not only God's kindness, but wisdom and understanding. It's in the past tense. It means that we already have these things. God has given them to us in Christ. He's given us an excess of grace. I, yeah, hallelujah. More of you should say hallelujah to that, honestly. Like, why is this one dude hip to this gig? Like, more of us should, like, like, listen, God has given us an excess of grace. Too much, there you go. Let's work on this, church. God has given us an excess of grace. Okay, there we go. Okay, there we go. That's the kind of church I think we should be. That feels better. Doesn't it feel better? Okay, here's another opportunity. God, God has treated us with an excess of kindness. Right? Right? Yes. We should say hallelujah to those kind of things. I mean, an excess of grace, like too much grace. Right? And sometimes certain people will complain about that. There's too much grace in your life. I know. I know it's totally excessive. I know it's crazy. God is too nice to you. I, you don't deserve that. I know. Hallelujah. He has dealt with us in excess as it comes to grace and kindness. We're starting to get that. That's why we're doing this study. That's why we study through the book of Galatians. We've got to get that. We've got to get the excessive nature of God's grace and kindness toward us. We, we have to get that. That is the gospel. We must get that. But we also must get something else. We also must get that God has given us an excess of wisdom and insight to live rightly before him. The text is saying that. Ecclesiastes would speak of this when it says, For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge Enjoy. Proverbs 2 6. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. God has, and God is giving, and God has available to you a gift of wisdom and understanding for a different sort of living. It's a, it's a gift, it's undeserved. You don't deserve to know Jack or Squat. But God is giving you an access of both grace and kindness, Jack and Squat. Wisdom and understanding. 
And though it's been given to us, it's in the past tense. Well, what we have to do with everything that God has given to us is cultivate it and grow in it. Right? It's not that we just say God has given us grace and we go along with our lives. We cultivate an understanding of grace. We cultivate an experience of grace. We grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord, Scripture would say. Right? So, yes, here we go, church. So, so we, need, we need to grow and we need to cultivate wisdom and understanding. Okay, it's all available to you in the Lord, but, but we got to lay hold of it more and more. Okay, as Christians, that's part of the Christian pursuit. And that is how we are daily saved from living according to our own foolishness and for our own glory. Is when we grow in the wisdom and the understanding that God gives us, we're daily saved from the folly and the foolishness of living according to our own glory. And so scripture beckons us toward wisdom and understanding. Proverbs 9, 6 says, Leave your simple ways and begin to live. Learn to use good judgment. Leave your simple ways and begin to live this, this new quality, this new way of life. Learn to use good judgment. We've been foolish. I've been foolish. Learn to use good judgment. That's what God has for us. Proverbs 7, 4. Love wisdom like a sister. Make insight a beloved member of your family. Proverbs 4, 7. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you could do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. So scripture beckons us toward this, this experience of wisdom and understanding. And it says we ought to pursue it. Yes, God has given it to you as a gift, but you ought to pursue it with everything that is in you. And we're talking about a certain kind of wisdom and understanding. Okay, we're not talking about human wisdom. First Corinthians would say the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. We're talking about godly wisdom. Not talking about mere human wisdom and understanding, which, which will never do, which are actually contrary to God. Romans 1 would say of sinners professing to be wise, they became fools before God, thinking that they knew the right way to live. It was utter destruction and perversion. We're talking about a certain kind of wisdom and understanding, godly, heavenly wisdom and understanding. James 3 speaks of this, and it says this. If you are wise and understand God's ways... Prove it by living an honorable life. Doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. That verse right there is enough just to wreck your year. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it. You've experienced the gospel, a component of which is God's gift of wisdom and understanding toward you. Prove it. Show me you've experienced grace in the gospel. By living an honorable life. Doing good works with humility that come from wisdom. I can't preach this stuff. I'm getting thrashed. <laughs> Verse 14. But if you are bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Man, that's the truth. For wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and evil of every kind. 
But the wisdom from above, God's kind of wisdom, the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving. Man, this is good. Gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. Oh. <laughs> I, I want this wisdom that's being spoken of here. Wisdom from above is pure, peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. God, give it to me. It's full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So we're not, we're not talking about the world's wisdom. We're talking about God's kind of wisdom. Wisdom from above. Proverbs 3 would get at this when it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you the path to take. Seek his will in everything you do and not your own. And, and he'll show you what to do. Verse 7, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have, here's a promise, then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. That's a, that's a good promise. You see, Scripture promises a different quality of life for those who practice godly wisdom and understanding. A different quality of life. That, that verse began to get at it. Proverbs 3.13 gets at it. It says, Joyful is the person who finds wisdom and who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than gold, and her wages are better than gold. A new sort of life. Joyful is a person who, who pursues wisdom and understanding. We spend so much time pursuing gold. Right? Right? Monetary gain. We really do. And there's this promise in scriptures. What if you spent a consonant amount of time pursuing wisdom and understanding that are a gift from God for you? It's saying your life would be joyful. Yeah. Hallelujah. Come on, church. <laughs> Proverbs 16.6 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold and good judgment than silver. We don't believe that. Very few of us believe that. I, 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 a pile of gold and silver or some wisdom and insight. I can't even see this. Give me the gold and silver. The Bible says, hey man, how much better is wisdom than gold and good judgment than silver? Proverbs 10, 23. Doing wrong is fun for a fool. That must mean I'm a fool. Doing wrong is fun for a fool, but living wisely brings pleasure to the sensible. So there's this promise of a new way to live. Joyful, better, pleasurable living. So God has for you. Tell me that doesn't sound good. And it's not dependent upon circumstance. You see, we hear joyful, better, pleasurable, and we think spa day. Right? We, we, we think surf trip. We think better house, new car, bigger bank account. We, we think that they're circumstantial, no more cancer, whatever it is. But, but Scripture is saying these, these things are not circumstantial. These things are a gift from, from God pertaining to wisdom and understanding. Joyful, better, pleasurable living that transcends circumstance. So, now that we're all 
tantalized and interested. Where does it start? How, how do we get at this? Well, the famous verse, Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Or as more traditional translations would say, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where does wisdom start? Fear the Lord. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the Holy One. Where does wisdom start, which promises joyful, better, pleasurable living? It starts in fearing the Lord. Which doesn't mean necessarily for, for the Christian that, that we cower in fear from the Lord as though he were going to punishment. First John, as, as though he's going to punish us, excuse me. First John already told us that, that his perfect love casts out fear because fear involves the punishment. Right? But, but Christ took our punishment for us. So there is this sense, though, in which the world should fear God in that way. Because there is coming the day of the great white throne judgment. Where every living creature will, will be judged before a holy and righteous God. And those who have refused to repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ will be thrown in the lake of fire. It's also called hell. So there is this sense in which the world ought to fear God in that way. But once you put your faith in the work of Jesus Christ and been united to Christ, well, you're now the chosen of God. You're adopted of God. You belong to God. So we don't fear him in the same way, but we still fear God. There's no wisdom without fearing God. We, we still fear God in the sense that he is still holy and righteous and we ought to live to please him and not ourselves. And that whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And we ought to revere God. It's, it's a biblical synonym to some degree for fearing God. We ought to revere God. God, I, I want to honor you in the way that I live. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, what, what we usually do is we esteem ourselves as being too much. We live for our own glory. And we're distracted by so many other things other than God. We're guilty of idolatry. To fear the Lord is to get over our own glory and to repent of idolatry. And God is always drawing us to this place of repentance and fearing him with his kindness. It's a strange paradox Fear God, and yet he's drawing you with his kindness, Romans 2, 4 says. So, what we're called to do is seek the Lord in his wisdom and understanding. Job 28, 28, the fear of the Lord is true wisdom. A desire to revere God, to be concerned for God's glory and not your own, to rid your life of idols, is true wisdom. To forsake Evil is real understanding. What is it that provides joyful, better, pleasurable living? It's the fear of the Lord and the forsaking of evil. Psalm 110 would, would lend some balance to our thoughts on our standing in grace. I'll just read it to you. Excuse me, Psalm 111, verse 10. It's not on the screen. It says, fear, fear the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. It is possible for your standing before God to be in grace because you put your faith in Jesus Christ, but for your life to be an absolute mess because of your sinfulness. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you anymore. Doesn't mean he's going to reject you or forsake you. 
or that he won't deal with you kindly anymore. Your standing is in grace, but your life is a mess. This is true of myself so often. When I say you, I'm, I'm really speaking of us. Please understand. I wish I could sit with you in the pews and, and preach to us all at once, but I, God told me to preach, but I, I'm hearing this myself. My, my standing could be in grace, but my life could be a mess because of my refusal to repent of my sins, my refusal to revere and fear the Lord, to forsake evil. And, and, and the promise here is all who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. So we don't want only a standing in grace, we want a life that reflects the holiness of God. And so, so here's how we do this. Here's how we pursue wisdom and understanding. Scripture, prayer, and community. I'm sure that you could think of other ways, but those are the three I thought of. Okay? Scripture, prayer, and community. Okay, first of all, Scripture. Isaiah 45, 19. I, the Lord, speak only what is true and declare only what is right. And he does it in his word. Okay, so we want to know what is right and true. We go to the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.15. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. And, And then look what Psalm 119 would say, starting verse 98. The psalmist writes and says to the Lord, your commands make me wiser than my enemies for they are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I'm always thinking of your laws. I'm even wiser than my elders, for I have kept your commandments. I've refused to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. I I haven't turned away from your regulations, for you have taught me well. How sweet your words taste to me. They're sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. No wonder I hate every false way of life. The Christian life is one of revelation whereby God in his grace gives us wisdom and understanding which helps us to see the folly of false ways to live. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. In verse 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So we pursue wisdom and understanding and so joyful better pleasurable living by pursuing the word of God Christian you must read your Bible it's just that simple if you want to experience what God has for you you must spend time in the word of God and not haphazardly it's got to be scheduled not that you got to have this like rigid schedule I'm horrible with those but scheduled meaning in your heart you say it's a priority of my life to be in the word of God Because the word of God is whereby wisdom and understanding are revealed to me concerning God and his glory that I might learn to fear and revere him and turn away from evil that I might experience better, joyful, pleasurable living. The other way that we do that is through prayer. I love Jeremiah 33.3, one of my favorite verses of my whole life. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you of great things which you did not know. God says, I'll tell you things you know nothing about. But call to me, pray to me. Second Chronicles 1.10, Solomon prayed to God. God said, I'll give you whatever you want, Solly. What do you want? And he said, that's what God called him. And he said, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he said, give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead your people properly. Because who could lead such a great people? He prayed for wisdom and knowledge. How do we get wisdom and knowledge? Wisdom and understanding? Prayer. 
Psalm 90 verse 12, the psalmist prayed and said, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Psalm 119, 169. Oh Lord, listen to my cry. Give me the discerning mind you promised. That's a good prayer. Man, that'd be a good prayer to pray every day, huh? Give me the discerning mind you promised. Ephesians 1, 16, 17, we already read. James 1, 5 is one of those promises that I go to all the time. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God who will give it to you. He's not going to rebuke you for asking. In every instance, Lord, how, how do I deal with my wife right now? Give me wisdom for that. Lord, how do, I, how do I raise my kids right now? Give me wisdom for that. Lord, how do I deal with this conflict going on between this, myself and this person I love or this person I don't love? Lord, give me wisdom for that. How do I conduct my business? Give me wisdom for that. He's not going to rebuke you for asking. If you're lacking wisdom, ask. How do we gain wisdom and understanding? By committing ourselves to reading and studying Scripture and praying to God. And then the third way, community. Cannot forsake community. Wisdom and the understanding of God are, are practiced and discerned and disseminated through Christian community. We're, we're called to live in community. Proverbs 15, 22. Plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. And an abundance of counselors, more traditional translations would say. Colossians three sixteen is glorious. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Christian community. Teach and counsel each other. Don't let it just be Sunday, right, with this six-foot-six blonde guy yelling at you. Don't, don't let it be that. Practice Christian community. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom God gives us, right? Christian community, building each other up. Hebrews 3.13, you must warn each other every day so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Christian community. And in the book of Acts is this wonderful explication, explanation, telling of the story of God's wisdom working out in God's community as they went forth into the world on mission. So, so here's the deal. For joyful, better, pleasurable living, though the Christian has been already given wisdom and understanding by God, we must cultivate it through the study of Scripture, the practice of prayer, and the experience of Christian community. And if you're neglecting any of those, you are severely debilitating, debilitating yourself with regards to experiencing joyful, better, pleasurable living according to the wisdom and understanding of God. Our lives as Christians are called to be characterized by Scripture, prayer, and purposeful Christian community. And don't wait for the church to form your community for you. Okay, don't wait until we stand up and say, we have community groups, so sign up and do community. Be purposeful right now about developing Christian community. Surround yourself with men and women who can help you and who you can help. Okay, who you can begin to do life with and experience and enjoy Jesus together with. Right? Teaching each other, counseling each other with all the wisdom God gives. Hey, if you don't have any Christian community, listen, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Christians here right now. Just go up to some of them afterwards and be like, I got no community, dude. Can we hook this thing up? And because they heard the same sermon, they're going to say, as awkward as it seems, yeah, I want to go to lunch, something. 
Listen, don't wait for someone to come and hold your little hand and say, do Christian community. Don't. It's what we're called to. It's part of who you are. You'll, you'll never image or experience God rightly until you do it in community. And when we neglect these things, we're showing ourselves to be foolish, even though God has offered us wisdom. Proverbs 26, 12. There's more hope for fools than for people who think they're wise. Isaiah 47, 10. God said to his people, you felt secure in your wickedness. No one sees me, you said, but your wisdom and your knowledge have led you astray. Different kind of wisdom and knowledge. You neglected the wisdom and knowledge of God, you've been led astray. And Jeremiah 4.22, just hear this in the right way. God says to his people, my people are foolish and do not know me, says the Lord. They're stupid children who have no understanding. They're clever enough at doing wrong, but they have no idea how to do right. You know, I, I think we, we need to hear that part. They're clever enough to do wrong, but they have no idea how to do right. I mean, you're, you're in the beloved son. Your identity is not stupid child. Your identity is beloved child of God. But sometimes in the neglect of wisdom and understanding, the fear of the Lord and turning from evil, we're good enough at doing wrong, but we're just clueless when it comes to doing right. That, that shouldn't characterize the church. That shouldn't characterize Christians in the Christian community. So we have to hear scripture exhort us to live rightly before God. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, responds to it, lives constantly with it, obeys it, does something about it. See, a lot of us will just hear this sermon today and not do anything. Jesus would liken you to the foolish man who built his house on the sand. But anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds his house on the rock. Hosea 14, 9 would urge us to live rightly. It would say, let those who are wise and understand these things. Let those who discern listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. In the true and right paths of the Lord. I just don't know how you do that apart from giving yourself to the word of God and to prayer and to fruitful Christian community. Psalm 119 Verses 37 and 73 say, Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all my heart. Listen to this one. You made me, you created me, now give me the sense to follow your commands. I'm going to get that tattooed on my face. <laughs> on my face. God, give me the sense to follow your commands. Give me the sense to follow your commands. That's what scripture is saying has been given to us, lavished on us in wisdom and understanding. The sense to follow his commands. In light of God's love and grace and kindness toward us who deserve his wrath and judgment, we must see it as true wisdom to live for him and not ourselves. 2 Corinthians 4, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. 
Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Living for God's glory because of God's love. Greek scholar Kenneth Wiest says this about the concept of Christ's love controlling us or compelling us, as the New King James says. He says, For the love which Christ has for me presses on me from all sides, holding me to one end and prohibiting me from considering any other, wrapping itself around me in tenderness, giving me an impelling motive. Giving me an impelling motive. This love that we have controls us toward wisdom and understanding the fear of God, turning away from evil, which causes us to live for him and not for ourselves. And in face of the kindness and the love that God has given us, we must see sin as it is. To have been given so much, to have an excess of grace and an excess of kindness and then continue to pursue sin is to spit in the face of the Redeemer. I do it. I'm guilty of it. I, I know you wish I would say that more nicely. But, 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 but to have been given an excess of grace and an excess of kindness and, and to hear these things over and over and then continue to pursue a course of sin is to spit in the face of the one who redeemed you with his blood. Scripture would say such things. In Scripture, when God's people sin, he used words to describe it like rebellion. Rebellion, Leviticus 16, 21. Defiance, 1 Kings 13. And despising the Lord, 2 Samuel 12. To describe our actions against him. How can we, how can I, who has been chosen, adopted, loved, and redeemed, and shown excessive grace and kindness, possibly rebel against, defy, and despise so great a lover and redeemer. You see, what Scripture is telling us to do is to wise up, and to gain understanding. But that, that, that's not the way that we live in light of the gospel. Ephesians will go on to say, and we'll get there because we're going to study the rest of the book of Ephesians. It will go on to say in chapter 4, verse 30, and chapter 5, verse 15, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own identity. He's identified you as his own. Don't bring sorrow to the Spirit of God by the way you live. He's identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. That's what we're going to do. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ in us. What I want to be able to say today together as the church gathered is that we want to be careful how we live, not as fools, but like those who are wise. And, and ultimately, we must realize that the way that that's done is by pursuing Jesus. We have to say this, and this is where we end. When we're reading scripture, when we're praying, when we're living in community, the point of it all is Jesus. The point of scripture is not scripture. The point of prayer is not prayer. The point of community is not community. The point of scripture is Jesus. What is this book about? One word, Jesus. What does prayer have to do with Jesus? 
And what about this Christian community? Why, why are we teaching and counseling each other with the wisdom he gives? Jesus. All of it has to be summed up in a holy, passionate, Christocentric perspective on our Christianity that says it's all about Christ. This is what Colossians 2, 3 says. In him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And last verse I'll share. Listen, listen to 1 Corinthians 1, 24. It says, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So if everything else today has confused you, what, 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 what do I do? Christ is the wisdom of God. Press into Jesus with every fiber of your being. All praise and glory to you, God. Christ, you are the power and the wisdom of God. Teach us to set our minds on you and your glory. Teach us to train our hearts after you and your truth. Teach us to form our lives in a way that would bring you glory, Lord. To live for you and not ourselves. Christ, you are our wisdom. Teach us to listen to you and learn of you and lean on you. And teach us together to enjoy you as we seek to experience the joyful, better, pleasurable life that you promise as we fear you and turn from sin. Maybe some of you today need to repent of your foolish sins and come to Christ who is the wisdom of God. Lord, for those of in here who know they need to repent, they've maybe for the very first time, give them the grace to do that. Help them to say in their hearts, Jesus, I, I see it clear as day now. I'm, I'm a sinner who deserves wrath, but you died on the cross that I might be saved and experience love. I repent of my sins. I turn toward you. Lord, as people pray that, wash them. Wash them, Lord. Cleanse them. Make them brand new. Help them to know it, believe it, and experience it, God. Please, Lord. And for those of us that are continually amazed at how often we lapse into sin and pursue wickedness, even though we've been shown an excess of grace and kindness, in your love, chasten us, Lord. Teach us to live for your glory.